0: Last month, uh, we spent the whole month on the theme of, of, uh, of hearing God from a lot of different perspectives. I brought a teaching and then we sort of riffed on that teaching the next three weeks. Um, it's going to be the same thing this month. I'm going to bring a teaching here, hearing God part two, and, uh, then we're going to sort of riff on that for the next couple of weeks, um, and, uh, pulling at that and, and seeing what it is that God has for us. So if you weren't with us in, in June for the first teaching about hearing God, uh, I'm going to bring you up to speed uh, in five minutes on uh, an hour-long teaching, and it's going to be awesome. You're going to love it, I promise. Um, but if you, if you weren't here, today's teaching might be rounded out if you were to go back and catch that teaching, which is uh, online on our, on our website teaching page. But in quick summation, uh, hearing God uh, living in and from his presence the, uh, uh, is the theme that we're on for this summer. Um, we talked about the depths of God. The depths of God are, are these things. And we looked at First Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, specifically, uh, the Spirit of God searches the depths of God. So these are the depths of God. Who here would like to know God's depths in these different arenas up on the screen? Right? We all put our hands up. We want to know God in this way. Uh, these things are searched and known by the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit reveals them to us. So what that leads us to is, is the depth to which you are connected to the Spirit of Christ is the depth to which you can know the depths of God. Read that? The depths to which you are connected to the Spirit of Christ is the depths to which you can know the depths of God, who connects us to those things. So it ends up being this really beautiful relationship. This is the Holy Spirit, right? He is the Spirit of Christ himself. He's not some ethereal nothingness. He said, actually, the person of Christ, the spirit of Christ, who is given to us, that is the Holy Spirit, and he resides within us. And he reveals the deep things of God to us. It is not the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world is, are these things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. That is not the Holy Spirit that we are about. This is the spirit of the world. And it leads us in a, he leads us in a different way, away from these things and toward the true fulfillment that we have as the children of God. These things are imparted by the Spirit because God wants us to understand the things he gives us. God's heart is for you to know his depths. He is not holding out on you. He, he, He wants you to know the core of his mysteries. He might speak in ways that you don't want or didn't ask for, but he's not holding out. The question is always, do we have ears to hear? There are three kinds of people, right? There's the carnal person, who's the person who is just after sin and just wants to live a sinful life and just living, living however it is they want to. But then there's also the natural person. That's the person who lives in the power of their own flesh, the flesh that's not submitted to the Holy Spirit. However, the spiritual person is someone who lives and submits their flesh to the Holy Spirit so that as they follow the Holy Spirit, they're neither carnal nor natural. Many of us try and engage spiritual things from natural perspectives. We do this by dichotomizing our lives. So a, a real easy one is that we split our lives into sacred and secular. Right? You can see that like when, whenever somebody starts a, to a sentence with, this is just business, you know what they're about to do, right? They're probably about to sin. <laughs> Because they, they've, they've, they've separated their lives. This is just business, so I can treat you unkindly. This is just business, so I can be greedy. This is just business, so I can be selfish at this spot. Right, so it's, this, it's the idea of sacred. But when I go to church, now I'm a kind person. I'm an aware person. I'm not selfish. Uh, I'll choose to be spiritual. I'll choose to be secular, those sorts of things. That, that, that's a way that we try and, and live this out. However, if you want communication with God, if you want to hear from God, then you have to listen spiritually. You have to listen spiritually. You have to listen with the fullness of who you are. Your spirit is the fullness of who you are. Your spirit is revealed through your flesh, through your mind, through your imagination, through your heart, through your soul, through your emotions. But your spirit is the truest place of you. Your spirit's the redeemed part of you Your spirit's the recreated part of you. Your body is the last thing to catch up with that recreation in the resurrection that is to come. But if you want to understand the things of God, then you must get in touch with those things on spirit levels, on spirit levels. What a lot of people hear when they hear somebody, a preacher say that, is they hear, check your brain at the door, right? Which is not what I'm saying. The scriptures tell us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you were to ask me right now, thanks for asking. Um, loving the Lord our God with our mind is the greatest weakness in the current American church. So when it comes to the way that we engage things, when I say spiritual, I mean the fullness of who you are, including your mind, but also including your imagination. Also including... The fact, the spirit-to-spirit the spirit connection, trusting that what you sense deep, deep within you when you ask God for something is his response to you in that way. Also reasoning and thinking. Isn't it interesting that so many of us are glad to open up a book, words on a page, and read this and process it with our brain and process it with our reasoner right? and think about it and, and logically engage it and literally understand it. And we're fine with our reason engaging this. But when it comes to imagination, or dreams, or visions, or those sorts of things, sort of like, eh, I'm not too sure about that. If you trust the reasoning part of your brain, why not trust the imaginative part of your brain? Jesus only taught in parables, and without a parable, he did not teach. That doesn't mean you check your brain at the door. It means you bring the fullness of your brain in. And that becomes submitted to the Holy Spirit in your life. And so as we think about what it means for us to be spiritual discerners, we understand that we have the mind of Christ. Let's all say that phrase together. We have the mind of Christ. I only have the mind of Christ as we have the mind of Christ. I'm not allowed to be a dictator. If I stand up here today, ignore this book, and tell you a bunch of stuff that I happen to uh, have opinions about, and then say, this is the word of the Lord, please fire me. That is is not the case. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ together. Isn't it beautiful that God invites us in the book of Isaiah, come let us reason together. This patient God that we have that wants to be in this relationship with us. This patient God who gives dreams and visions to his people and then sort of extrapolates them and and brings you over here to look at it. He only taught in parables, and without a parable, he did not teach. And then he says in Luke, if you understand the parable of the sower, you understand all the parables. And then he actually tells them what the parable of the sower means. How cool is that? Which means every parable is then understandable by us. If we can understand this one. So we can, we can mind and understand and engage the depths of God. We have the mind of Christ. So that's why Paul says, So let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider that robbery with God, but made himself of no account, but took the form of a servant, being humble. He pursued the cross, and that's why he's exalted. Right, that's the kind of like spiritual stuff that's weird. Really? Humility? Servanthood? nothingness, putting myself aside, only being focused on the other, to the point of death, unjust death on a cross. That's the reason of God. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name. Right? So it's, it's not the spirit of the world, right? quite obviously. So we ended uh, that last teaching with me going as fast as I could through seven important points that I didn't want to go through that fast. So let's start there. Number one, when it comes to hearing God, how do I hear God? Start with whom you know. Start, start with the one that you know. Understand this. John chapter 10. You know his voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. Which means you know God's voice. There might be a lot of other voices that are louder. You may not have uh, um, cultivated a listening heart to know what that voice sounds like, but you know it. You know it. And if you give yourself to hearing God, you will understand it. And that's what we're going to talk more about today. Get to know him in his library. This is not a book. It's a library. It's made up of 66 different books, and they harmonize together, and they tell the same story from different vantage points and from different perspectives and you start getting to know God here. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Like, this is a book. It is a library. And therefore, you read it. And the wonder of technology is if you don't like reading, what can you do now? You can listen to it. It's even better. And if you really want to remember it, listen to it while you read it. Because the more senses you use, the better you learn. But now I'm getting into a rabbit trail. Cultivate a life that is toward God, His principles and commands. This is what we'll be focusing on today. Remain very aware of what is happening in your mind, heart, and body. Remain very aware of what is happening in your mind, where your reason goes, your heart, how you feel, and your body. Number five, pray to completion. Right, pray, pray to completion. If you don't understand something, keep chewing on it. Pray without ceasing doesn't mean pray all the time, right? Like this sanctimonious kind of a thing where my whole life, all I'm ever doing is talking to God. Except right now I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to him. But there is this communication going on because I'm praying that today's teaching somehow settles in you. So while I'm talking, my mind is praying. At the same time, I'm communicating with the Lord to a point of completion. When I leave here today, if I felt like, man, things just didn't sit right, or what I was getting from the audience wasn't, I, I, sometimes as a preacher, you feel connection, sometimes you don't. Man, I will pray that thing through the rest of the day. I'll pray that thing through the rest of the week until I just feel like there's a point of, compl- like, okay, good. Like, I can rest at the point that this is. I can rest at what's happening in this. Pray to completion. So when God says something to you, and you're chewing on it, like keep chewing on it, until that point that you have rest with it, until that point that you have completion with it. And it might just be for a piece of a season. It might just be for a little bit, and then you're back at it again. But but that's what it means to pray without ceasing. It means to pray to a point of rest, of satisfaction with what it is. Spend regular time with God, and mindfully engage the exchange. Spend regular time with God and mindfully engage the exchange. And when you don't hear God speaking, when you don't hear God speaking, we'll talk about that more. Two things, how do I know if it's me or God? That's what everybody wants to know. How do I know if it's me or God? Number one, that's a very high opinion you have of yourself. Number two, number two is... This truth that you know God's voice. If you don't know if, if it's God, then what can you do? Ask again. Just, just, just ask. You folks know Keith Yoder. He's come here and taught many times, and you've seen Keith advise us. And Keith is a man of deep, deep wisdom. Has a very, very intimate walk with the Lord. One of the, one of the best listeners to the Holy Spirit that I know. And Keith will routinely say that, uh, I'm not sure that I heard God on that one. So I'm just going to ask again. And if I hear the same thing again, I'm good. (laughs) It's like, Lord, do you want me to obey you by not punching Jake in the face? No, punch Jake in the face. (laughs) I'm going to ask the Lord that again, (laughs) right? (laughs) Depending on what you did, um, I'm going to ask, because, because the library says no to violence, right? And so if my flesh is overriding my listener and wanting to punch Jake in the face, that something's not right there. And that's the obvious thing, right? So there are other things that maybe aren't so obvious that we stay with the Lord in and that we just continue pushing forward. I mean, the really deep things of God, he, he wants to reveal to us. Lord, why is somebody that I love so sick? Lord, why did they die? Like, why did you take them from me? Like, why did they have to suffer in order to get to that point? What about the loneliness that I feel now? Or what about the incompleteness in the relationship that I still feel, even though I thought something different was going to happen? Those are really hard questions, right? And I just related a conversation I had with somebody in a car for 20 minutes on Friday night to you in four major questions. And she's asking all of these questions and God is right there with her in all of those questions. And his voice is coming to her in ways that she didn't want and didn't ask for. But because she chooses to stay in it, she feels and knows his presence. And while she's not getting answers to the questions... She is getting to know God. Because that's the beauty of hearing God, is God himself. Spiritual disciplines are good. Organic life requires structure. Organic life requires structure. I remember there was a guy that I met somewhere uh, here in Lebanon, I forget where. Um, And uh, we were, it was a CVS. And he said, are you the pastor at Cornerstone? I guess he had visited or something like that. Are you the pastor at Cornerstone? And I said, yeah. He goes, I remember you because of your beard, uh, which is different than somebody I remember you because of what you taught on or that kind of a thing. Or, <laughs> so, yeah, so I remember you because of your beard. Great, Yeah, I'll keep the beard. Um, and he goes, uh, he goes, I really enjoyed the service that day. I said, I said cool, where do, you, uh, where do you worship regularly? And he said, the road which my mind immediately went to, this guy's like a truck driver or something like that. And um, so he's like, he's, he's, he works on the weekends or whatever. And I said, oh, does, your, does your vocation cause you to travel? And, uh, and he said, no, no, no. He goes, I, I run every Sunday morning and I, uh, and I talk to God. I was like, oh, okay. So where do you get your community from? He's like, I don't need community. He's like, I, I, just, I just run, I talk to God, I'm good. That's a very dangerous way to live. That's an I have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ together. And spiritual disciplines are good. You need to be at church. You need to read your Bible. All right? You need to pray. You need to have engagement in community. These are all the basic things that we commit to in our covenant member, uh, um, our covenant member declaration that we have here at Cornerstone. Pursue intimacy with Christ personally be a regular intentional part of community, Uh, give regularly, steward what it is that God's given us, and uh, serve with the spiritual gifts that we have. Uh, These disciplines, these rhythms to our lives are ways that we engage God's voice in regular, regular movements, regular rhythms, day in, day out, not just with ourselves, with God's people together in God's house on God's day, apart as we're in our workplace before we get there at night with our kids. We're engaging, we're engaging, we're engaging, we're listening, we're rhythmically moving through our moments of our day with an intentional mind and heart and soul and spirit that is seeking to hear God in that moment. It is so interesting to me that when pain hits a person, their general instinct is to pull back from the church to be like, I can't be around that right now. And I don't think that it's like a rebellious thing at at all. I think it's that there's so much pain that's happening in the life of that person that hearing that God is good or experiencing his peace and life in community is just not a spot. There's There's just not courage to step toward that. I can't just go and put on my happy face. Folks, please, by all means, don't just go and put on your happy face. That's one of the beautiful things that we hear about what it is for people here at Cornerstone is the ability to come in like whatever spot I am and be in that spot. I think it's great. And the more we can foster that and engage that, the better off we are, the more healthy we are. That's an organic way to live, but it's also a structured way to live. If you take a leaf and put it under a microscope, you will see amazing structure that didn't just like, oh, I'm out for this, and I'm listening here, and no, this is happening over here, and so I go fly over here, and then, oh, and, you know, I'm just living, sort of bumping and bouncing around, and uh, no, you need to put some structure in your life, and be about that, and follow that, and let God teach you in the rhythms of listening that it is that God has called us to. All right, here we go. Assumptions matter. Assumptions matter. When it comes to hearing God, your assumptions are the most important thing. Three assumptions that I would suggest that we could adopt when it comes to hearing God. Number one, if you believe God doesn't speak, then he can't. If you believe God doesn't speak, then he can't. And this is the deconstructionist model. The idea of it's not the Lord; it's me. I gave some illustrations about that last time I taught, which you should listen to. Um, if you believe God doesn't speak, then He can't. Number two, if you believe God won't speak, then He won't. I mean, don't get me wrong; He'll still hit you upside the head with a board if you need it. Uh, however, if if your assumption is that God won't speak to me, then you're not going to hear. If you expect God to speak and then listen, you will hear him. That's the story of scripture. If you expect God to speak and then listen, you will hear him. But if you, don't, if you think he doesn't speak or if you think that he won't speak, if those are your assumptions, you have a deeper problem than hearing God. And it's this. It's that you don't know God. That's a dangerous statement because a lot of us that grew up in the church just heard me say, you're not saved, that you're going to hell. No, that's not what I said. I'm telling you, you don't know God. Right? I used an illustration last time, I'm going to use it again today, where it's sort of like if I saw something weird, really weird, like let's say that uh, Sherry was a kind, compassionate, wonderful person, He's a homeless person sitting there begging for change and walks up to him and kicks the cup out of his hand, throws his stuff all over the street and screams at him that he's a big loser and then walks away. My assumption is not that my wife hates homeless people because I know my wife. Right? She's a kind, compassionate, loving, generous person. I'm assuming something else is happening. There is something else that's going on. Maybe she's been recruited to be a part of uh, some strange social experiment. Maybe one of our children was kidnapped and this is part of the ransom scheme. You know, like she has to do this. Uh, You know, like something else is going on because that's not what I know of her. So if you go to prayer one day, and if you have a, a, a listening relationship with God and you go to prayer one day and what you hear God say is, I hate you, you're a big fat loser and I wish that you weren't my child anymore. Something else is going on. Right? Something else is happening because that's not God. God doesn't work like that. That's not how you know him. However, a lot of us were raised that that is how God is. And so we're used to being told that that's how God reacts in situations particularly of our own failure, but that's not what we learn here in the book. So what it requires of us is for us to shift our assumptions where if God doesn't speak or God won't speak or God is speaking in a way that's not God, the problem's not God. God God's good, right? I mean, like, he's, he's got that. Godness thing going down. We do not. We're really bad at being God. However, if you remember from the initial temptation of Eve, what are the two things that she was promised by the serpent? You won't die and you'll be like God. And those are the two temptations that have continued on to this very day. So what you and I are being tempted with when it comes to hearing God is, A, you don't need to because your life is sustained in and of yourself. You, you, you don't need to. like You're, you're good. You, you won't die. You don't need life from outside of yourself. You're fine. Number two is that you can be like God, which means you don't need to listen to God because you can be like God. Did you ever notice that Lucifer didn't try and dethrone God? He didn't say, I'm going to conquer God's mountain. He just said, I want to set up my own mountain. He didn't say, I want to destroy God because he knew he couldn't. He just said, I want to be like God. I just want to set up my own kingdom. I just want to do this thing over here. God wants to do his thing over there? Fine. I'm going to come over here, and I hate him so much. I'm going to try and steal, kill, and destroy anybody who wants to follow him. And I'll do that by bringing them into my kingdom and then killing them and destroying them. It's this this tension that we have. And and this is the same temptation that we have. We want to be like God when it comes to hearing God. We want to be self-sustaining. We want to be people who don't need to be reliant. We want to be people who are self-sufficient. And when we adopt the first two assumptions on the screen, we are declaring our godness. God doesn't speak. God won't speak. I can fill in all the gaps. However, if we expect God to speak, one of the first things that he tells us is, Hey, I'm God. You're not. So come and be subject in my kingdom. Come be a citizen of my of my home. Come and be not just anybody in my kingdom. Be a prince. Be a princess. Be a son. Like I don't want you. To just, I don't. Need, I don't need you to be a lowly thing. I want you to come and have royalty given to you. I want you to serve me from that place of belonging and dominion and authority. Come into this spot if you expect God to speak. Those are the kinds of things that He speaks. But if He don't or He won't, then He doesn't. Your assumptions matter. And if you don't hear God, it might be because your assumptions, not about how God speaks, but about who God is, are wrong. Did you catch that? Your assumptions about how God speaks are not the problem. Your assumptions about who God is and his character, that's where things get off. Because God wants to speak to us. And that's what we're going to talk about as we step toward the rest of our time together. Uh, okay, I want to go there. Yet. All right, everybody's like, "Really?" That um, was all part of the marketing scheme. Okay, uh, I passed out a bunch of verses to folks. There are two major ways that God speaks to us. Now, now and and what we forget about is that um, speaking, God speaking to us. We we think of it again. This is an assumption kind of a thing. We think about it like God is way up here, and we're way down there. And God says stuff like, Obey me. And we're like, Okay. And we run off and we obey. Do it different. Okay. And we run off and do it different. And our spiritual disciplines come down to, Have your devotions. And we run off and we have our devotions. And it's this idea of like God's way up there and we're way down here. And God is speaking to us from this place of authority and kingliness, you know, and like a disconnected dad. It just sort of like comes back in, and, rah, 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 and then runs back off to do the things that he wants to do, and comes back in, why are you screwing it up, get it back in line, rah, rah, that, that's not how God is, that's not who God is, God is a counselor and a teacher, and he is those two things from the place of a father, right, God is a counselor and a teacher, and he is those two things from the posture of a father father. If you think about what it means to be a parent, you counsel and teach your kids. It's what you do. And these are the ways that he engages us. So who has Psalm 33? Listen close. I'm sorry. Psalm 73. Psalm 73, 23 and 24. Nice and loud, please. Everybody listen. Thank you. Who has Psalm 32. Psalm 107. Thank you. Take your Bibles, uh, turn to the book of Psalm chapter 32. All three of those verses talk about the counsel of God. the, the, The counsel of God. Counsel. What are some other words for counsel? What kind of concepts are in the word counsel? Wisdom, guidance, advice, help, instruction, advocacy. What kind of a person in our culture gives a lot of counsel? Lawyers. Lawyers. Yeah. Lawyers give a lot of counsel, and it's all good. Right, Barry? Um, (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Who else gives counsel? What's that? A doctor, a doctor gives counsel. Who else in our culture? Dads, all right. Who else? Pastors, wives. Wives. (laughs) We even have a vocation called counselor. Counselor, that's right. Isn't that's 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 interesting? What's one of the names of God in Isaiah nine? Wonderful counselor. I, I mean, his very reality is named by this concept of counsel, right? and all of the all of the things that we just talked about, all of the vocations that we have minus one, have a bit of distance to them. So I need I need I need legal counsel. I go to see a lawyer and pay for it. I need medical counsel. I go to see a doctor and I pay for it. Right? I go to see a counselor or a therapist. Uh, for advice or for insight, and I go to that person, I pay for it. I get counsel from my wife, or I pay for it. Um, all right? <laughs> it was too perfect of a setup, Steve. I had to go there. <laughs> but then it said dad. Right? And so a, a dad may or may not be someone that you go to a dad might also come to you right but there there's this idea of of access and not just any kind of access free access i right? i gave my son some counsel last night and i will not send him a bill today right? and for that matter like like there there's nothing there's nothing to that like there there's no Backwards, uh, end around kind of a run either. It's not like if my son is good or if my daughter is good, then I'll counsel them well. And if they're not, then I'll counsel them poorly or not counsel them at all. There's this idea in the counsel process of what it means for us to listen though. It carries with it the concept of presence and relationship. And most of all, communication. I don't know how people who don't believe that God speaks gets a, get around the texts that we're talking today. I think I've got like a dozen of them. Because one, one of the consistent things that people who don't believe that God speaks will say is that God does give us counsel and teaching. How the heck does that come then? I don't even know how to think of it another way than communication, that, than, than God speaking to us. God counseling is here, engaged. And I think Psalm 32 just says it so beautifully. Verses 7 and 8. You are a hiding place. Psalm 32, 7 and 8. 32, 7 and 8. Yeah, all right. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So don't be like horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you, not from a distance, not like a lawyer or a doctor or a therapist. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, which means I'm right there with you. I'm watching what's going on. I'm engaging you in the moment. I'm counseling you because I actually have perspective and reality as to what it is that you're going through and how it is that you engage in this situation. You know, so both my boys are now teenagers, which means girls have gone from being ugh to being huh. You know, like, I've been there. I know what that transition is like. Right? And so I want to have fun. You know, I want to have a girlfriend. I want to have fun. Well, let's define having fun because dad's definitions really matter <laughs> when it comes to how you choose to have fun with a girl or not. Right. And so like like this transitions being made So the counsel that I have is not just my eye upon them, but it's my eye upon them. So my experience, my insight, my my, my life to this point, I bring all of that to bear in this situation where think about it like this. Work with it like this. Now, whether or not they choose to follow that is completely up to them. But as their dad, if they choose against the things that I'm counseling them toward, that are also against the things that God counsels them toward, then what do I have a responsibility to do in that spot? Discipline them, train them in a way that brings them in line with who God is. Because that's what it means to be a loving dad. So this idea of counsel, the psalmist says it really clearly here in Psalm 32. Don't be like the horse or the mule who, who needs a bridle. We went on vacation a couple of weeks ago and, uh, we were up in middle of nowhere and in the middle of nowhere, there was this trail riding place. And so, uh, we went for a trail ride, me and the three kids went for a trail ride on horses. Uh, and it was an interesting experience. Um, Because horses are big animals that have minds of their own. And the one thing that my horse kept wanting to do the entire time was stop and eat. You know, so if you're on this trail and this thing keeps putting his head down, my horse's name was Smokin' Joe. And Smokin' Joe keeps putting his head down to eat. And the lady said, the lady said, when he does that, uh, the guide, when he does that, Pull up on the reins. And so Smoke and Joe put his head down to eat. And I tugged up on the reins. And you know what he did? He kept right on eating. <laughs> she said, no, no, no. You got to pull. Like like pull on the reins. Smoke and Joe put his head down. Yanked up on the reins. Off we went. It was great. I'm like, like five yards. Smoke and Joe's like, yeah, back. Yanked back up on those reins. Now, I'll teach this horse one way or the other. Halfway through the ride, Smoke and Joe and I had a working relationship. God says don't be like that. Don't live without understanding. What is understanding? Understand. Change the words. Stand under. To understand is to stand under. You cannot understand your wife, your child, your friend, your coworker. You cannot understand them until you choose to submit yourself to them. You, you cannot understand a person until you choose submission toward that person. Let me hear what you have to say. I will actually listen to it and stand under it for these moments of hearing to try and, and, and see where it is that you're coming from or what it is that you're bringing here. To understand is to stand under. Smoking Joe had to learn to stand under me. Right? But it took that bridle for it to happen. And if I were to go back there right now and ride Smoke and Joe again, you know what he would do? Eat. Right? It. it wouldn't. That, that's not how this relationship works. God says, don't be like that. Don't. Don't be like that. Don't. Don't be a kind of a person who needs to have a bit in the mouth where God has to yank you over here, yank you over there, and do those things. That's the kind of person who's like, why is God so harsh with me? Because you st- stop every five yards to eat. Instead of following where it is that he wants you to move and how he wants you to be. So don't be like that. Listen to the counsel of the Lord. It's why it's there. Do you have the wisdom that you need on how to deal with the loss of a loved one? Do you have the wisdom that you need for how to engage your spouse in a loving way when that person is not very lovable in that moment? Do you have the wisdom that you need to actually take a child at age negative nine months all the way through the time that they're released from your house and out on their own? Do you have that? Do you have the wisdom that you need to be a good friend at the school that you attend? To understand how to see somebody like God sees them? Do you understand? Do you have what, what it is that you require the wisdom that's needed for you to listen to your parents well, even when what they're saying completely doesn't make sense? Like, do you have that kind of wisdom? No, we don't. And so we seek it. And God counsels us by speaking to us. And he gives us his wisdom, which is the the perspective that he brings to the table here in Proverbs chapter one. Who has Proverbs chapter one? Thank you, Angie. Nice and loud. Listen closely. Everybody catch that? Whoever listens to me, which assumes that God is speaking, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease. Who has Psalm 25? Thank you. Hearing God is not for everyone. Hearing God is not for everyone. Hearing God is not It is for a life that is toward God. It is for a life that is toward God. Back in May, I taught on the concept of moralistic therapeutic deism, which basically says that God wants you to be good, feel good, and just know that he's there whenever you need him. Be good, feel good, and the central goal of moralistic therapeutic deism is for you to be happy and fulfilled. But that is a life that is not toward God. This conversational, intimate relationship with God, of hearing God and of God speaking, it is for a person whose life is toward God. Hearing God comes from a way of being. It comes from a lifestyle of actually wanting to hear. That doesn't mean that God won't speak to you. Again, if you need a board upside the head, he can do that. I mean, he's... But this, this conversational flow, rhythmic engagement relationally with God is for a life that is toward God. It's for a life that's actually seeking what it is that He wants. It's discerned through the spiritual engagement with the Holy Spirit. Who is the man who fears the Lord? We just heard. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He, him, will he instruct in the way that he should choose. God instructs those who fear him. Wisdom is given to those who fear the Lord. Wisdom, counsel, instruction, hearing God in those ways is for the life that is toward God. Who has Isaiah chapter 2? Everybody get that? Hear that last statement? O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. God's home, God's mountain, God's place of being is where we are called to be with him. And when we are with him, when we are walking in his light, there is this incredible instruction and counsel that is coming. When we choose to live for ourselves, that counsel stops. That instruction ends. We have chosen to listen to ourselves. We have chosen to listen to our own advisors. Who has Isaiah 54? Thank you. All of your children will be taught by the Lord. The person whose life is toward God opens up a generational blessing. you get that? None of your kids were born wanting to hear God, as great as they are. None of our kids were born wanting to hear God, right? That natural way of being, that sin nature, it blocks. And so for the moment, who gets to be the voice of God in their life? Isn't that fun? Sometimes. (laughs) Right? Other times, not so much. But a parent who does not walk in the light of the Lord can't hear God or won't hear God. And what does that mean for their children? They also can't. That's a big deal. Micah 4, verses 1 and 2. Thanks. Thanks. The counsel and instruction of God and God's heart toward us and hearing God as we walk with Him that is meant to be the consistent day in, day out rhythm of your life if you are a Jesus follower. Of an intimate conversational relationship with God that is a speaking, that is a movement, that is a what do you have for me here? What do I need to know in this? What is happening here? What insight do you have? God speaks that directly to our spirits. He'll speak it through his word. He'll speak it through the community of believers, like about this experience that I had in Idaho. Right? That, that, that's a communication from the Lord. But he'll also give us what we need to hear when we're seeking him. So to use my good friend Matt as an example, who just completely teed this up for me. Right? Matt was up here, and he told us about the sands and the shovel. Remember that? The, uh, um, the sand And like, does God know what each one of these... Sand crystals is, or what it looks like, or its structure. That's a question from a son, right? Literally, a son toward a father who's also a son toward a father. Pretty sweet, right? And so then there's the experience of being in front of that ocean and of, based in this question, God coming in and saying, Hey, in answer to your question, I do know that. And then he gave Matt what Matt actually needed to hear. I mean, Matt wanted to hear about the sand. He needed to hear that God loved him. That's a Godward life that is open to the communication of God. And the counsel of God in that moment was, I love you. And then Matt, as a spiritual father here, comes back to all of us and tells us what? What, is Matt, what did Matt tell us? God loves you. So what's the counsel of the Lord for you today from Matt? And the counsel of the Lord to you today from God through Matt. God loves you. God's instructing you. God's counseling you. Father, Son to father. Son to father. Father to the, those that he leads us. Right, His family coming from the Father. That's the beauty of hearing God. God. God means that to be the rhythm of our life. He means that to be the moment-by-moment engagement where we're consistently aware of what is it that God is doing and joining Him in that. Uh, Kelly, you guys can come back up. I think one of the most beautiful things about hearing God, and with this I close, is this truth. The story of God is one of His coming down to be with His people speak with them, to enjoy them, and to be enjoyed by them. That's the story of God. He built the tabernacle because he said, I want to live among my people. I will speak with them and they will speak with me. To enjoy them, to be enjoyed by them. That's the story of scripture. It's not this God who's way up here, but this God who comes down to be with his people and to speak to engage and to counsel and to instruct as a loving father. And what's incredible about it is that this almost always happens over a meal. This almost always happens over a meal. Folks, let the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, for those of you who are familiar with it, let it be like take away all of its religious stuff, all of its systematic ritual. You realize that what is happening is meat is getting cooked. Grain is being offered, water is being poured out, and wine is being poured out. That's what's happening. Meat, bread, water, wine. It's a meal. The whole of the Old Testament, the entire culture of the nation of Israel, is based around the structure of a meal. It's this idea that when I come, I come bringing a sacrifice, not because because God is a masochistic God who just wants to see lambs and blood just thrown all over the place so he can just sort of like swim in it because he's mean and warlike and all those things. No, he's cooking a meal. And he wants it to be a really good meal because he loves you. So like no blemishes in this lamb because the food that my kids are going to eat with me is not going to be of a blemished animal. And the poor people, he cares about them too. If they don't have anything, the people who do have, have to give a perfect lamb to them so that they can go and sacrifice it because everybody's invited to this meal. Wine is unheard of, unheard of for the poor. It just was completely off the table. It It was too expensive. They couldn't have it. It was reserved for those whose class allowed for it. And they were called to give away wine. And do you know where the wine offering was placed at the meal? It was poured out before the Lord as luxury. Because God is so rich and so good that we can pour this wine, we can waste this wine because of the wine vats that he has of his love and what we know later of his blood. So when we come together, the whole of the Old Testament system is built around this idea of a meal. The danger of the exile, the horror of the exile, is that we can't sit down with God. Because his presence is back there and the meal is back there and the house where we eat the temple is back there The beauty of jesus is that the meal has come forward So that jesus sits down with his disciples and said this bread is my body This blood is the cup and when you come together you come together We come together around this central concept the central counsel of god the central instruction of god My son died for you. I love you I love you. I love you. And I want to be with you. Let's sit down. Let's reason together. Let's drink some wine. Let's eat some bread. And together, let's engage. The grand story of Jesus saying to the church at Laodicea, this church that was screwed up and that was religious and ritualized and lukewarm and just sort of like going through the motions. Jesus says, behold, I stand at your door and I'm knocking. If anyone will open the door, I will punch him in the face and get him in line with me because it's been too long of lukewarmness. That's not the counsel of God. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and fix all the problems in his life and I'll make him real happy and fulfilled with himself. That's not the counsel of God. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and do what? I will eat with him. I will eat with him. That's what God wants. God wants you for the sake of you. Do you need counsel and instruction from the Lord? Absolutely you do. Here's the meal. We gather around Christ. We gather around the same thing that we've been gathering around for the entire history of the people of God. The sacred meal that now is Jesus. And we consume the only thing that we're allowed to consume, which is Christ. And when we eat that bread and we drink that cup, we hear the deepest, truest, fullest counsel and instruction of God. And we hear it together because we have the mind of Christ. And so we approach the bread and the cup now with that perspective, that this is listening, this is hearing God. And the communion elements that we're about to partake of together is a point for us all to not be like the horse and the mule who need bridles but rather it's for all of us to come together and stand under the counsel of God that says Jesus died. He loves you. At your place of deepest brokenness and hurt and unanswered questions and the story of your life, however joyful or painful it might be today, we are all together needy of what it is that this meal brings. Because we are altogether needy of hearing God. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Lord, we thank you for your counsel, for your instruction, for the wisdom for the conversation, for the life that we have in you. What is life? What is relationship? What is belonging if it is not? A life that is hearing you. So God, we want to hear you. God, we want your counsel. We want your instruction. We do not want to be like animals, so to be forced in the leadership but God, we want to be people who follow, listen, who are engaged, and who understand. So, God, would you work in us to break down our assumptions about who you are that keep us from hearing you? Either the won't or the don't. And God open our hearts to the expectation, the moment by moment rhythm of living a life that is toward you, hearing you receiving your counsel and instruction, and walking in your ways. Thank you for the joy that we have of sitting down with you at a meal, of the release of all of the other things, and of the conversation, the understanding, the joy, the engagement, the rest. Lord, we want to know What it means to be people who are spiritual discerners, who hear you, and who then live out your counsel and instruction in the world for the sake of your name and your glory. Make it so in and among us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.